When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable. Bringing the latest movies into your home at the touch of a button. Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence star in the period drama Serena. It's available on demand before it hits theaters. And if you missed Oscar winners and nominees like Whiplash, The Theory of Everything, Inherent Vice, and Nightcrawler, they're all playing right now on demand. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on Cable. The Art House is now in your house. From the Arctic wasteland formerly known as New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And this week on the show, it's next week on the show. Or wait, is it last week on the show? We'll try and sort out the time paradoxes as we review the new time travel thriller, Predestination. Later in the show, we'll bring you cue shots in which we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now. And they'll all be centered on a common theme. In honor of predestination, time travel movies would have made a lot of sense. But there was a problem. We already discussed time travel movies back on Film Spotting SVU episode number 30, the episode where we reviewed Primer, which is why I spent the last two weeks inventing a time machine. That's all it took, two weeks. Not too bad. uh, You know, one week, probably, (laughs) more reasonable. When I go back in time and give myself the time machine before I invented it, it'll be two weeks. But anyway, so I spent the last couple weeks inventing that time machine, which you can see right here, Allison. It's contained within this lovely little violin case. And now we're going to travel back in time to March 2013 to convince our former selves not to make a time travel podcast then, so we can do it now instead. I guess it would have been a lot easier and less dangerous to just pick another topic, but nuts to that. I want to time travel. Let's go. You ready, Allison? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Oh, shoot. I forgot to buy batteries. Do you have any 9 volts? You said you would take care of this. I forgot. I bought the wrong kind. I bought C's. The thing takes 9 volts. I'm not going out in that snow again. All right. I guess we're just going to have to talk about something else instead. I'll tell you what. Let's do Ethan Hawke movies, and let's focus specifically on Hawk's career in genre films. First up, though, is Opening Break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films on demand. Allison, what are our picks this week? Well, first up is a movie that is now available on demand and is a lot of fun. I don't think anyone's going to pay much attention to it, given the timing. But The Salvation, which is this kind of Euro-Western from the uh, former dogma filmmaker Christian Levering, who did The King is Alive, is uh, it's a pretty good time. It's not a particularly deep Western, but it's a kind of neat uh, 
throwback to spaghetti westerns in a certain way. It's filmed in South Africa, which is shot for the American West, and stars, stars Mads Mikkelsen as John, a Danish settler who, with his brother, Peter, has set up a homestead and is finally ready to reunite with his wife and child. Except as soon as they arrive, they have this terrible encounter with a member of a gang on the road, and soon uh, Mads' character is involved in this conflict with the gang's leader, who is played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and they go to, you know, old Western style war. Uh, it's it's a beautifully shot movie, uh, and it's it's a lot of fun. Mads Mikkelsen makes a surprisingly good Danish cowboy, <laughs> and and there's also my favorite Ava Green in this, in a particularly Ava Green esque role as Madeline, who is the uh, widowed sister-in-law of Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character, and has this like scar across her mouth these kind of Western goth style outfits and is mute because she was kidnapped by Native Americans when she was young and they cut out her tongue. But she is just like simmering with rage Does all the time. Does she wear sexy armor? She wears, no, she wears like Western goth clothing kind of, like things that are like lacy and like buttoned all the way up to the, the throat and, you know. Does she have sex fights with anyone? Almost. <laughs> Almost? <laughs> Comes she, close? Yes. <laughs> Where's my brother? Mr. Delarue, I can assure you, it ain't nobody from around here. I will give you two hours to find the man that did this. That's impossible. Or you bring me two of your people. I'm innocent, please don't! So it's it's a good time, and I think, and it really is, I, I think Levering comes up with a very, a neat looking style for this movie that looks it looks familiar, but also very modern mm-hmm. in terms of the visual style. So that's the salvation. Uh, I was mm-hmm. a fan. I saw I'm it. At interested. Can. Yeah, I saw it. At can and I was really charmed by it. But it's Mute also Ava Green, almost sex fighting. That's, that's yeah, pretty and good. Matt Mickelson, yeah, know, that Danish r- cowboy around. Yes, yeah, that's, that's, on that the doesn't planes. sound un- unappealing. Yeah, uh, I. It just it's just the kind of movie that, especially at a place like Cannes, you're like it doesn't give you a lot to write about in comparison. So I think it got a little ignored, mm. but now it's out and is available on demand. Also available now on demand is another movie that was at Cannes, Maps to the Stars, which is David Cronenberg's latest and does feel like maybe his LA answer to Cosmopolis, not contained entirely in a limo, but does feature his limo passenger from that movie, Robert Pattinson, playing a limo driver in this movie. Wow. <laughs> yes. And, full circle. And it, he also manages to have sex in his limo, so which he does in both movies. Think about that. I can't wait to read the think piece that's coming <laughs> out of this. I can see it already. Yeah, it's kind of an odd family, gothic, L.A. drama of Hollywood satire. And uh, Julianne Moore is a standout as this actress who is never as successful as her maybe crazy or maybe just maligned mother who was like a cult favorite actress and she is a really great Hollywood monster in this movie it's uh you know Julianne Moore is very rarely bad in any movie but she she makes uh this character really come to life and not seem just like a thin parody of, of a monstrous actress. She makes her seem like a real monstrous actress. Uh, <laughs> Mia Wasikowska, also very good in this. John Cusack. It's, I, I don't think it's an entirely successful movie. It's certainly not one of my favorite David Cronenberg movies, but it is a kind of slightly surreal take on this 
you know, your your usual Hollywood is a vile place, a vile kind you of You would still too, recommend it. Yes, too close place movie. So Maps to the Stars, also available on demand. And coming to on demand on March 13th, throwing this in for thematic reasons. I have not seen it yet, though I am looking forward to it. Cymbeline stars our podcast topic, Ethan Hawke. The film is directed by Michael Almoreda. Uh, and is based on the Shakespeare play, though it's updated. So this is now a story of a war between dirty cops and a biker gang, which is probably not in Shakespeare's original quite that way. Uh, Hawk uh, starred in Michael Almereda's 2000 film Hamlet, Hamlet, which was also a modern adaptation of right. Shakespeare. So and this is like a spiritual sequel in a sense. Yeah, they're reuniting. Yes, for so a modern Shakespeare thing. Exactly. So uh, that's what I'm intrigued. Probably no scenes in a blockbuster video in this one. No, I mean, Sadly, if it's a modern day adaptation, they don't exist anymore. it's probably not. Yeah. <clears throat> but I, I like that Hamlet. I think that it kind of yeah, did one. interesting things with... Uh, a, a very famous text, and Almerida is is always an ambitious director. So uh, sounds like one. the movie would have fit this uh, topic to this know. episode because it's about bikers and dirty cops. Well, we'll have to see if it fits after the fact. It's available on March thirteenth. topic we're going to do on this episode i think the genre movies of ethan hawk but we can't take full credit for it this was a suggestion we asked our twitter followers at film spotting svu what should our theme be knowing that we had already done time travel we didn't want to uh, repeat ourselves so what should we do and we had thought about ethan hawk but uh, the suggestion came from listener ari gunner his twitter handle is at a-G-T-H-O-R-S-T-E-I-N-S-S-O-N, who suggested doing the the genre films of Ethan Hawke. And we were like, yeah, that's kind of a cool idea. He has made a lot of them, and but interesting ones, too. He's He, he doesn't show up in a lot of, like, you know, Marvel movies. He shows he up in... He hasn't showed up in any Marvel right. movies. <laughs> He's the guy who does, like, the movie that comes out, like, Predestination, like, in January, that is a tiny little, probably made for less than 20 million bucks. Maybe the filmmakers are from Australia as they are here and is a little different, a little weirder. It's a genre film, but it's not empty-headed. At least I, that's what I think of when I, when I think about if Ethan Hawke is on the, above the title of a, of a genre film. Yeah, you know, looking over his filmography, I mean, he's worked so, so much, based, like really, like he's worked so steadily ever since... He basically started as a child actor, and uh, he's really stuck to an impressive number of of smaller, kind of more heady movies. 
you know, he's never been afraid to take on a genre movie and something like The Purge even, which is like a small budget movie mm-hmm. given that it's a kind of grand topic. Uh, yeah. I know? mean, it was famously uh, like less than five million bucks, right? Yeah, and he's, you know, sometimes really done well by those movies. I mean, certainly something like The Purge or Sinister, you know, we which neither of which we're going to talk about here, but are movies that... Sinister especially managed, is a really great little horror movie that I would recommend. Yeah, that have managed to kind of land, to make an impact. And, I you know, I think it's easy to think Hawk's most iconic roles are these kind of slackery intellectual movies, right. like these Linklater movies and then... And then reality bites, right? That like yeah. I think that a lot of people, when you think of Ethan Hawke, that's where your mind goes to the floppy hair and the late night, you know, talking about life and stuff and having a goatee, uh huh, and maybe playing an instrument. Playing an instrument, <laughs> yeah. But but he's made a surprising amount of sci-fi movies, horror movies, cop movies, cop movies. Mm-hmm. I think you know. I what do you think of Ethan Hawke as an actor in general? You know, it's funny because I don't. I would never put him on a list of like my favorite actors, but looking over that filmography, you go, boy, he has been in a lot of movies that I really like. And he hasn't been in a lot of movies that I actively hate. You know, uh, it's, he's not a guy who's going to be hit or miss like that. He's pretty dependable. And that's sort of what I took away from doing this is that he's, he, he's a worthwhile guy. I, I, I was, I, I was going to say this later, but I guess I'll just kind of bring it up right now is that the thing that really, uh, this exercise in, in, uh, hawk exploitation, as uh, <laughs> a writer I really like online, Vern Outlaw Vern put it when he reviewed Predestination recently. He called these movies hawk exploitation. Is that maybe his greatest asset as an actor is his taste level? He has very good taste in projects. You know, the movies he picks, they're not always going to be winners. I don't love everything he's done, but they're almost always interesting. There, there's almost always something going there. There's a kernel of an idea. The execution may miss slightly, but you can always, you always get why he made the movie. You don't go, why would he do this? And I guess money could be the answer in a lot of cases when you see an actor you like and something you don't like. You say, well, why in the world would you make this? And and the answer is usually money. Right. Well, I mean, you look at say Nicholas Cage or sure. Bruce Willis, That's a who great have had example. like many, many basically directed DVD movies in the last few years. Right. And you go, why are they doing this? And it's because they could they, probably get a couple million bucks. And I think they, they might need the money. I know, you know, Nicholas Cage apparently does, but uh, yeah, you're like, you're not choosing these. Because Dinosaur have... bones don't come cheap, Allison. All right. I don't appreciate the <laughs> implication. Has a island. I know. But, but you know, you don't, you don't, you, it's clear that they are not choosing these movies because they have a great personal connection to any of them. Right. And you, you get the, you don't get that sense with Ethan Hawke. You really get the sense that he read the script and liked it. Whether right. the movie is a misfire, there's always something interesting there. Right. And I, I do like that he's, I, I would never call out Ethan Hawke as one of my favorite actors, but I think he has a willingness to play a certain type of character and play both sides of maybe that type of character, that slacker intellectual. He's willing to play a guy who is a kind of a slightly grimy, slightly weak-willed, you know, not the likable guy. Mm-hmm. And I think he does that well. Yes. And he knows that he does that well. And I, that's something I definitely appreciate about it, it, his choices. I don't, I don't know anyone who would say he has the widest range of Hollywood actors. But within his range, he's very good. Yes. And I think that's what you see in, in the films. Are we, should we get to our picks? Let's get to our picks. You want me to go first? Well, I've got an early one. So oh, okay. All right. Mind. Go for it. 
It is, in fact, the earliest one from Ethan Hawke. It is the film from the beginning of his career, his acting debut, which was also the first film for his co-star, River Phoenix. It is Explorers, which is currently streaming on Netflix and on Amazon Prime. 1985 film uh, that is a sci-fi kind of kids adventure movie of the sort that they really liked in the 80s particularly. Uh, Hawk, Phoenix, and Jason Presson, whose career just petered out in the 90s, unlike his co-stars, sorry, Jason, play a trio of school kids who, with the help of alien contact, build a spaceship and set out to explore the universe and encounter some aliens. Uh, Explorers was directed by Joe Dante, who was actually coming right off of Gremlins at the time. Mm. He was on a high. This was supposed to be his E.T. or in the very least his Goonies, which actually premiered the month before. And Paramount was so sure they had a hit on their hands with this uh, that they they hurried it into production without a finalized script. Um, Dante has said that he and screenwriter <laughs> Eric Luke were kind of improvising things as they went along. My brother and I used to come up here all the time. That was before he went into his jerk phase. Boy, you can see the whole town from up here. There's Lori's house. Who's Lori? She's this gorgeous blonde. Where's she live? Never mind. I made a rough sketch of the terrain in graphics mode for referencing. I'm going to look for something to experiment with. Ben, don't touch. Mr. Professor, it's my dream. I can touch it if I want. The movie actually has a, a pretty good underlying joke about Ben dreaming about finding the answers you know to the universe the big questions of the universe from meeting aliens and having this encounter and essentially finding out that everyone out there is just fans themselves it never quite like pulls this joke together but uh, it does have this really nice sense of wonder especially in the early scenes when the boys uh, build their spaceship which is out of using an old tilt-a-whirl car and they when they first fly and figure it out uh, there is a lot of charm to that this the part where they actually meet the aliens is incredibly weird and the aliens themselves are incredibly weird and i don't think they're entirely successful though i like the idea behind them a lot it's kind of it's almost like a twilight zone joke the uh, albeit not like one with a terrible dark end this is a kids movie but there is this is a kind of fascinating movie to watch because it feels like an 80s the 80s blockbuster the kind of 80s blockbuster everyone obsesses over that never was because people don't know a lot about this movie uh, you know it feels familiar when you're watching it even if you haven't seen it before and uh, it's Hawk is okay in it. I think he gets kind of stuck with being a bratty character. It is to see him play with like play against River Phoenix and River Phoenix as like the nerd is uh, an interesting thing as well. And the movie has otherwise a great cast uh, that don't they don't who don't get a ton of screen time because this is about the kids. But it's definitely a really interesting oddity and it's it's worth the time and i'd be curious to see what a kid would actually think of this now because it's both very 80s and also like very weird and and not conventional 
So that's Explorers, and it is available on Netflix and Amazon Prime. I, I just added it to my Netflix my list. I, so I, don't, I don't think I I was really familiar with that movie at all. And I it's got Joe. Da- I love Joe Dante, and, and it, you're making it sound pretty good, especially given the timing. Like it was right. Joe Dante at like the height of his powers. Yeah, it's, it's a movie that I would have gone to with my you know my mom would have taken me to. Right, it, it, and it vanished. It, it was it literally it was the month after the Goonies came yeah. out. And it's it weird just, that I, that I it's completely off my radar, and it's so in my wheelhouse yeah interesting well i'll have to check it out uh my first pick a little bit later we've now moved into uh the adult ethan hawk phase until this week it was the only i think the only fiction film by richard linklater i'd never seen and i i always kind of used to make fun of it as a punchline i when i was at the dissolve a year or two ago my boss uh, scott tobias was getting ready for a big interview with richard linklater and I kept joking, he should just ask questions about the Newton boys. The Newton boys. Only ask Newton boys <laughs> questions. Ignore boyhood. Not important. Get to the Newton boys. And I did that because, I, I don't know, I, the movie didn't get great reviews. It didn't make a lot of money. It seemed kind of like an anomaly and a misstep in Linklater's career. One of his few sell-out Hollywood gigs, at least from the outside. And it is true that superficially it, it doesn't look like a Linklater movie. It's a period piece set in the Roaring Twenties about a bunch of bank robbers, and it has explosions and shootouts. It's not what I think of when I think of Richard Linklater. But when I finally watched The Newton Boys on Netflix this week, I very quickly saw that it is a Richard Linklater movie. The Newton Boys were among the most successful bank robbers in U.S. history, but they weren't hardened criminals like Bonnie and Clyde or Al Capone or someone like that. They didn't kill anyone. They lived by this code never to steal from women and children or to rat on each other. They robbed dozens and dozens of banks using nitroglycerin to blow up the safes. But they saw themselves not really as Robin Hoods, but basically as like little thieves who were just stealing from big thieves. Uh, The banks were over-reporting what was stolen and the insurance companies were, you know, paying them back anyway. And the insurance companies wouldn't sell insurance if there weren't bank robbers. So really they saw this as a fairly innocent crime. So it's not a sensationalistic portrait of murder and and sin. It's an underplayed little story about a bunch of brothers who joked around and hung out. And this just happened to be how they made their living was robbing banks. I thought Roger Ebert summed it up really well in his review of the film. Even though he didn't like the movie and gave it two out of four stars, he said, quote, The film chronicles their criminal career in a low-key, meandering way. We're hanging out with them more than we're being told a story. There are a lot of conversations about the profession of bank robbery, which, as a topic of conversation, is not a whole lot more interesting than double-entry bookkeeping. And he saw that all as a negative, but that's kind of what I liked about it, is that this feels like a Richard Linklater movie. It's a bunch of dudes hanging out, talking, and getting into little amusing misadventures. And the cast is very Linklater, too, in that the two main brothers are Matthew McConaughey and Ethan Hawke. Kind of the, the his two guys, his two favorite actors, really, are the two, the two stars. McConaughey is really the number one guy in the film. He's the brains of the Newton Boys gang. And Hawk plays the brother, Jess, who's mostly the comic relief in the film. He's a, he's a drunk. He's a little bit of a goofball. And I did kind of like how in like another movie, Ethan Hawke's character would be kind of a tragic figure. His alcoholism would get the best of him. He would screw up a robbery or he would go broke drinking himself to death. But no, that's not <laughs> what happens. He just drinks and cracks jokes. And near the end of the film, 
when the Newtons are arrested, which I, I don't think is much of a spoiler, he actually gives this great speech at their trial to sort of uh, win over the judge and, and the jury and stuff. It's, it's a nice little showcase moment for, for Ethan Hawke. You understand the meaning of a guilty plea, Mr. Newton? Uh, yes, sir, Your Honor. It means we're guilty. <laughs> you know, you caught us with the wet finger in the sugar sack on this one, sir. We're guilty, 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 and we're awful sorry we put everybody through all this trouble. See, we're simple cowboys. You know, we don't know much about guns and you know, train robbing. Just sort of come along on a lark, if you know what I mean. Is it true you turned to the fireman and said, ain't this a hell of a way to make a living? <laughs> I guess. I guess, you know. But a fellow has to ask himself, what's right and what's wrong? And what we did was wrong. You know, I suppose we, we messed up that old train robbery about as much as any outfit could. They even managed to... Shoot her own brother. <laughs> no, uh, Your Honor, I, I figured that the Newton boys was never cut out for the wrong side of the law. Certainly, the Newton boys goes against the grain of a typical bank robbery movie. There's not a lot of blood or excitement or violence, but that's kind of what I want to see from a Richard Linklater movie, and again, from an Ethan Hawke movie, too, is that he doesn't make... As we've said, the big popcorn movie. He makes the quirky little popcorn movie that's playing down the hall from the big popcorn movie at the movie theater. His movie is in the smallest auditorium, and it's only playing once in the morning and once at night, <laughs> and you kind of have to seek it out. This is probably one of Linklater's lesser films, but it's still very entertaining, and I'm glad I saw it, and I would recommend it, and I will not be making jokes about it in the future. And retroactively, I apologize for all those Newton boys jokes it is a pretty good little movie that's the newton boys and it is streaming now on netflix yeah that's one that's been on my list forever and i've never gotten around no to it. no one has seen the newton boys yeah. and, it, and it does it doesn't look all that great and it doesn't look like a richard linklater movie but it really is and it's funny because i wonder if he made it now when the richard linklater movie quote-unquote is much more well-defined you know he made it in 98 at the beginning of his career and now I think we expect that sort of underplayed style from everything he does. And that wasn't quite the case then. Obviously, he'd made before Sunrise and Slacker, but I, I think he was, he was still somewhat of an unknown quality. And I think here, now, we get it. And I think now it's, it's a right time to enjoy it. So yeah, check it out. It's a fun little movie. All right. I will check that out. Um, the next film on my list is... One that I think could definitely be put on a shelf next to Predestination, as well as Daybreakers, which is the movie that Hawk made with the filmmakers of Predestination. It is Gattaca, which is available for rent everywhere. The 1997 film written and directed by Andrew Nichol, who would go on to do Lord of War and In Time, which was a kind of bigger, less good version of this kind <laughs> of movie, of this kind of like dystopian uh, concept heavy uh, movie. Sort of fun, but not as good. But so yes, certainly you you did and take a lot of unbelievably stupid. Yes, <laughs> and uh, Gattaca is set in a world in which people have been able to choose choose basically genetic traits about their children. And the movie is very careful about saying this is not it's not genetic engineering. They are not like building children. You know, they basically you see the process. They have 
a few fetuses are made and then they're allowed to pick the one that is most genetically favorable, right? So they can pick things like gender and as much as it varies, hair color and eye color. But mostly what they're screening for is genetic illnesses, genetic predispositions towards other things, like problems like, um, you know, manic depression or other things. Sure. So most uh, of the kind of, most of the, the most successful people in the world are what they call valids. They are people who have, you know, got the advantage of having been chosen for their best genetic makeup. They are, you know, the most beautiful and the most like athletic and the most in general long lived. And Ethan Hawke's character, and, and it's it's I don't know, it, it's eugenics basically. Right. Uh, Ethan Hawke's character is the older of two brothers. He's Vincent Freeman. And he is what they call an invalid. His parents took their chances on him. They they took it, did a crazy thing, and let you know let basic normal genetics, yes, determine their child's lives, life. And in this world, that basically dooms him. So Vincent has been passing himself off as Jerome Morrow when we see him scrubbing his like cells, like scrubbing himself down every morning to take off like dead skin cells and making sure his ha- leave no, no, no traces. Hair. Yeah, and then he has like blood and urine and hair like and hair samples and skin cells from this guy who right. otherwise just stays at home so he can pass himself off and he has like made his way into this space program at Gattaca the the center is called and he is a week away when we first find him from going on a mission they found my eyelash when in the corridor oh well it could be worse they could have found it in your eye They've got my picture plastered up all over the place. I can't turn around without seeing my own face. They'll recognize me. They won't recognize you. They'll recognize me. I don't recognize you. They won't marry the eyelash to you. They won't believe that one of their elite could have suckered them all this time. No, 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 no. We change nothing. We do as we planned. You're Jerome Morrow, navigator first class. I'm not Jerome Morrow. I'm a murder suspect. But what are you doing? What are you doing? That's more than a day's work. Wait, we can't stay here. Stop that! Oh, fine. Fine. You leave if you want. No, but you're not taking that stuff. That stuff is mine! I, I like that there is a certain messiness to it. Oftentimes with dystopian movies like this, the rules are so clear and then one person comes along and breaks things. But in Gattaca, it's not perfect. You know, it, there are already there are whole, there's like an underground apparently of people who are doing this. There's no revolution being planned. It's just that people do things to get around, you know, to get around the system. There are people outside of the system, you know, as far as you ever see them. There's no sense of a world that's entirely ordered by this, which makes it seem a little more real, right? That you have like I, I like at one point that Vincent points out that it's actually illegal to discriminate against someone because of their genetic identity, but that everyone does it anyway, because it's so easy to get that information, you know, from a handshake, from using the doorknob, from drinking from a cup. Uh, And so all of these companies do it anyway, and it ends up being something that hurts you. And I I think details like that uh, really flesh out this world and give it a little more tangibility than a lot of, you know, a lot of concept-based sci-fi movies like this that go out to explore one idea and never flesh it out that much. 
so it's I, it's a surprisingly successful, you know, movie along of this sort. I, I really, I think it holds up really well. Uh, Hawk is again not my favorite part of the movie, though I think he does like a, you know, a very serviceable job as this character who has basically subsumed his identity. I think the real standout is actually Jude Law, who plays the sort of role that Jude Law plays so well, which is a kind of arrogant privileged privileged guy. rich guy yeah <laughs> he, he just and and beautiful guy like you know his just general that sense of him his like being this someone who's like crushed in his prime you know like he's just so bitter but and resentful but at the same time kind of softens to vincent because he and vincent are roommates essentially vincent is like his caretaker and the part of their deal is that he's funding you know paying for this guy's lifestyle uh, and and their relationship is very uh, it build is built out very well for all that it takes these ideas to an extreme uh, there are plenty of parts like smaller parts of it that i think you know speak to present day mm-hmm. certainly uh, in little ways so that is gattaca and it is available for rent everywhere yeah i, I watched it for the first time last year and ne- i had never seen it and i liked it it's yeah. a good movie i think you uh, explained why all right, my next pick is from 2001. It's directed by Antoine Fuqua. You can rent it all over the place, Amazon, iTunes, etc. I watched it on iTunes. And we already talked about the taste thing. That was one thing I took away from this movie that I'm about to discuss. And what I also realized watching this movie is that Hawk is also very good at playing the second banana, playing... The co-star. He's strong enough to headline a movie, but he's also an unselfish enough actor to make a good foil. He plays well with others, and that's very true in Training Day, where he manages to hold his own with Denzel Washington without upstaging him while Denzel Washington is going way, way over the top. But you can also say that of the Newton Boys, where he's the comic relief. He's the kind of subservient brother to Matthew McConaughey. That's true of the before Sunset Sunrise movies, where it's all about him having these conversations with Julie Delpy. And I think you can definitely say that of Predestination, which we'll get to, in which a large part is a conversation in a bar between two people. And he's not doing that much talking. He's the listener. But he's very good in that role. And you really appreciate his skills in something like Training Day, where Washington's character is this incredibly dirty cop. He's so much larger than life. He's stealing drugs from suspects. He's beating criminals. He's getting into shootouts on the streets of Los Angeles. And Ethan Hawke's role is the rookie, the guy who grounds the whole film, and he becomes our voice in the car with Denzel Washington, expressing his skepticism, expressing his frustration with his behavior. Ethan Hawke's character wants to be a a narc. He wants to be this narcotics officer, but he's been assigned to learn from Washington, and he very quickly learn some harsh lessons on the job. In the next 24 hours, the only thing more dangerous than the line being crossed. Today's a training day, Officer Hoyt. Good chance to give you a little taste of reality. You think you can handle it? Is the cop who has crossed it. I will do anything you want me to do. Will you? Let's see. If I was a dealer, you'd be dead by night. because of me. Judges have handed out over 15,000 man years of incarceration time based on my investigation. You got today and today only to show me who and what you're made of. You hear me? I'd never seen Training Day before either. As usual, I'm just using this podcast as an excuse to watch movies that I've always wanted to see and never have. And I have to say, I was a little surprised how silly 
training day was. Uh, the L.A. police department in this movie is so completely corrupt and venal that it almost seems like the film is taking place in an alternate dystopian universe. It kind of reminded me, Allison, of The Warriors, where The Warriors is not set in the future when it was made, but it seems to because it's set in this New York where oh, everyone is in a gang. It's only, there's, The world is dominated by gangs, right? And in Training Day, it's sort of similar in that it's like this world where it's like all the cops are, except Ethan Hawke, are evil that it's like there are like cabals of cops who meet in in restaurants and i'm not saying that all cops are are not corrupt but it just it's so over the top and it's i what surprised me watching it is that this film came out in october of 2001 right after 9-11 i wonder what it looked like then i'm (laughs) i'm surprised they released it at all at that time given what was sort of you know the respect for cops at that time was so high that it, it must have looked a little a little out of place today it, it looks a little silly but a little scary at the same time and it's not perfect but it does have really good performances washington of course won best actor for it hawk was nominated for best supporting actor and i don't think it's his best performance but again i think he's really essential to the movie working by being the guy who makes this unbelievable character seem a little more believable just in context by buying in and and taking the material seriously and again, the taste level Hawk has is is smart. I mean, he's working with Antoine Fuqua, who's a good director. David Ayer is the writer here who's gone on to have a big career. And he, he was certainly smart enough to eye it and say, this is, at the very least, it's a great showcase for actors. And he was right. Washington won an Academy Award, and he got nominated for an Academy Award as well. So there you go. Not a masterpiece, but again, it's, it's an Ethan Hawk genre movie. It's probably not going to be the best film you've ever seen, but it's probably going to be interesting and solid, and you're not going to be bored. So that's Training Day, and it's available for rent on Amazon and iTunes. I mean, I like that idea that Hawk is, like, one of his strong suits is that he's okay with, like, like basically, like, not being in the spotlight in the movie. It's true. And standing next to it, and he's a good supporting he's a good supporting player like he doesn't yes. need he doesn't seem like he needs to be like now's my time let me make the most of it because i'm not getting enough attention in this movie right he's the equivalent of the guy in the baseball team who can play any position and and is and is uh, maybe not any position but can play a couple of positions and is a good role player he'll bunt in the right place you know he's willing to uh to steal a base but he doesn't have to go up every time he goes up he doesn't have to hit a home run you know he's not worried about how many home runs he's going to hit in a season he's worried about the team winning and uh, that's what you want in an actor. You know, it's uh, it's hard to imagine some of the bigger movie stars being willing to play the second banana the way he's done successfully throughout his career. Something this job has taught me is that truth is stranger than fiction. I've heard some incredible. Nothing astonishes me anymore. You don't know what incredible means. Yeah, well, try me. There you go. I got that. Forget it, man. I'm not telling you. Oh, you're scared. It's not good enough. Oh, you think that'll work? Oh, yeah. Are we 12? <laughs> Come on. Into the rest of that bottle. I got the best story you ever heard. Listener's Choice Review Time on SVU. On our last episode, you guys chose Predestination over the first season of the Amazon Prime series Bosch and the musical romance The Last Five Years. It won with just under 50% of the vote compared with the last five years, 32%, and Bosch's 
This is the latest film from the Spirig brothers, Michael and Peter, whose last effort, Allison has already mentioned, was the allegorical vampire thriller Daybreakers, which was set in a world where vampires have eaten so many humans that the world is running out of drinkable blood. That movie did also star Ethan Hawke, and now he is back with the Spirig brothers for Predestination, playing a temporal agent who works for an organization that's charged with going back in time to prevent tragedies before they happen. For his latest and last assignment, Hawk's character is sent back to the 1970s to find a madman with the comical name of the Fizzle Bomber, a name they actually make fun of in the movie as being comical. Why they kept it that way, I don't know. Maybe that's something we can discuss. This mysterious lunatic has evaded Hawk's character before, and in March of 1975, he is going to kill, or has already killed, 11,000 people in New York City with a big bomb. The time trail leads Hawk to a bar where he strikes up a conversation with a writer who's got a unique story to tell. And we're going to talk a little bit about the movie generally, and then we are going to get into spoilers because it's very difficult to discuss this movie without getting into them. So we'll warn you when they're coming, but expect a, a brief general discussion and then we'll, we're going to just spoil everything because I think that's what we've got to do. Now, unbeknownst to me, Predestination is actually uh, an adaptation of a Robert Heinlein short story called All You Zombies, which I had never heard of before uh, the movie. And from what I understand, it's a pretty faithful one, except for that fizzle bomber part of the story, which apparently was I, I, added into the story I, after the fact. Yes, it is. It, I, but it it's it's an elaboration on a line that quickly mentions the fizzle wars that never okay. happened. So it, even that is it's a reference it's a reference like it builds but the terrorism subplot is yes new. is not that whole subplot is you know ne- you never really the the story never really gets into in detail what the temporal agents, agents are doing. doing yeah okay so my question to you allison is this and you um, you've partially answered it already i suspect were you familiar with the Heinlein story and and or did you know the twists in predestination before you sat down to watch it and did any of that knowledge spoil any of your enjoyment of the film? So, in other words, is this a movie that's all twists, or is there value to it beyond them? I did not. I did not know it was an adaptation. Okay. After seeing the movie, I read the short story. Oh, I found okay. it online and read it. Okay. And uh, I was actually just reading it. It's not very long. It is actually like just a few pages long. Okay. It's so someone short, could go out and find it if they're very interested. easily. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's it's, and I think. That's actually so part of what's very interesting in the adaptation is just what is done to kind of what the filmmakers do and their relationship with the text, which is so brief to kind of build up. Uh, I mean, the the story is very clearly is an exercise to explore the particular concept that the movie builds out. Yes. Which we won't spoil which we yet. We won't spoil yet. But I, I think the thing that the movie does that is very impressive is inject a lot of humanity into this crazy concept. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I found watching the movie not knowing what was coming, but c- guessing, I think, fairly early that the twists were, I mean, the twists were not that important to me. Hmm. I was more interested in how it's like emotional heft to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think to make characters that go through what the characters in this movie go through and have that and have that have any kind of emotional realism at all mm-hmm. is is impressive and i think that the movie managed that 
which seems like almost impossible like when you read the story i think the movie did manage that not always perfectly but uh, i think in large part due to uh sarah snook who is the person if this is someone described this movie as like the ultimate guy walks into a bar story and uh the the, actor she is the guy she is the guy the actor who plays uh the the person who tells the story is phenomenal Mm -hmm. i think and really like in a wild role yeah, I, I, I agree with a, with a lot of what you're saying. I don't think I like the movie as much as you. I will say I did know a lot of... I haven't, like I said already, I didn't know the story, but I had had the movie spoiled for me. Someone had seen it, and they said, oh, man, it's crazy. And they started telling me, and they're like, do you care if I spoil it? And I was like, I don't care. Just tell me, because it really doesn't bother me uh, in some cases if something is spoiled or not. And so they told me most of it. So I didn't know a lot of the specifics because the movie becomes so crazy that it's hard to even remember when someone had told you what's going to happen. It's hard to remember, but I knew a lot of the kind of some of the twists going in. So knowing the twists going in uh, and they seemed very obvious to me and that's maybe unfair because I already knew some of them, but it seemed like they were telegraphing an awful lot of it. Yeah. I don't think they held them. I I don't think they really even set them up to be twists necessarily, you know, in that way of being like, I mean, there's a part where a character's identity is held back very deliberately. Like you only there's see several the back. parts. Yeah, but you know, like there, there's several parts where you only see the back of someone's head. Yeah. Or in the darkness. Yeah, and that's sort of some of the stuff yeah. I'm talking about, which and I, I found and, kind of distracting. Well, I just I felt like as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, I know who that person is. Right. It <laughs> just know? seems, to, and it seemed to me like there was a way. Maybe you're right. Maybe they didn't care about that stuff. But it seemed to me that there would have been a way to make this a more suspenseful story, and that they didn't go that route. I mean, you mentioned that it's a great man walks into a bar movie as well as being a time travel movie. And it almost seems to me like if they had started there, the movie might've actually have been more surprising and suspenseful. Whereas the way they introduce things with immediately diving into like weird sci-fi stuff and gadgets, but also using a lot of those tricks where you don't see the back, you know, you see the back of a guy, you don't see who it is. A lot of overhead shots, a lot of wide shots where you almost immediately know something's going on here. It just seemed like they were they were winking a little too much. And there's a lot in like the production design and the dialogue that is giving that stuff away. And again, it might be somewhat unfair for me to say this because I did know some of what was going to happen. But it just seemed to me like it was maybe it was doing a little bit too, too much winking and 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 teasing. And that I, I, I agree with you that there is something interesting about the story and the emotional side of the story. But I think that they could have played that better and played the suspenseful or the, the, the aspects of the story that could be suspenseful better. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think it worked as a thriller at all. Okay. I, you know, you like, just really bought into that character. Yeah. Arc. And all of the thriller aspects were all additions for the movie specifically, I see. you know? And I think that I understand why it's there to kind of give another layer. And also I think to give a narrative push, right? right. Like some narrative urgency to a story that otherwise really wouldn't have any, but right. and it, it honestly still doesn't have all that much. Right. Right. But you know, at least a reason for being kind of a, like a, a starting point, I guess. But I don't, I don't think that that aspect works all that much, but I didn't really care because I thought that, uh, yeah, it was, I, for me, the movie the parts of the movie that work really well. And I I think in ways that surprise me are the ways in which it is concerned with giving an emotional life and giving kind of history, like emotional history to characters in impossible situations. All right. Well, let's, let's, this is, I think this is the moment we've, we've talked enough already. Let's get into the spoiler aspect 
Abandon all hope of not being spoiled. Ye who enter from here on in, we're going to give everything away. So go ahead if you want to. I, I mean, obviously, we're talking a lot about this a- actress playing the man walking into a right. bar. Well, I here what I will say before we get into that. I mean, like, or as we get into that, the short the short story is obviously Heinland wanting to make a story about what would it be like if someone were their own mother and father, right? right. This is a person who is an entirely self contained loop. Right. They are their own. They generate themselves, right, yes. in this circle again yes. and again. And uh, I, I think that part of the movie's sometimes slightly deliberate, like openly uneasy relationship with its source material comes from the ways in which Highland brushes over like these giant things that happen. Right. Like, for instance, the fact that the main character is given against her will an operation that makes her into a man. Right. right. Like the movie or the, sh- the story like brushes over that very quickly. It is, like I said, a very short story. The movie, I think when there are times where I think it kind of like pushes back at the story for, for moments like that of just being like, you know, you're dismissing this like giant thing that yeah. has happened. There's like terrible violence that was done to this character right. and kind of using it as a plot twist. Right. Uh, I, yeah. I agree with you. On the other hand, it's all, it's like basically one scene where the doctor just is like, Oh, by the way, right. We did this But I, in the, okay. I, I don't want to like, well, make this all be story and movie, but like sure. this, the story like has her be like, Oh, and then I learned to be a man, and I started. At least lo- and the then movie, I started looking down nurses' blouses. At least in the movie, the 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 character she is upset. Sure, she is that traumatized. Is true. No, that's true. And there is, I think, and it also like it deals, you know, as much as I, there aren't a lot of movies that deal with intersex characters. I think it does put some effort into the fact that she, you know, it wasn't an easy transition for her. She never felt entirely yes. secure in being, you know, a man. She said, I never get the voice right. You know? Yeah. And I think that just even putting in those details, I agree with you I, yeah. it, that that character comes to be more interesting and deep and rich than you sort of expect. You say though, that you felt reading the story that Heinlein kind of just started from like, I want to make a story about X and then kind of engineered it. Yes. And that's still sort of what the movie felt like to me. It does mm. feel like, I want to make a movie where every character is the same character. How could I do it? And here's all the ways I, you know, like, and so changing the guy's face and it's a lot of rigmarole to get there. And I still felt that in the movie. It's not graceful. It's awkward. It's very awkward down to the parts where, you know, the, 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 the character is falling in love. It's hard because they don't have names. I guess Jane and John, this Sarah Snook, as the as the post operation is falling in love with with Jane the pre operation and i don't know i feel like if the the female version of me walked up to me i'd recognize i would at least see something of myself the fact that like the female well, version doesn't recognize the male version i don't know it seems I guess the whole thing is far-fetched yeah. and I just need to buy it. That's the kind of thing that is very easy to accept in a story on yeah. the page where you can't see the characters. When you're looking at them side by side, that's something that's more difficult. And Sarah's, Sarah Snook, who I thought did a very good job with difficult material. For example, the moment she walks in the bar, you're like, okay, that's a woman playing a man. Right. And to the point where I wasn't entirely sure right off the bat whether she's supposed to be a woman dressed as a man right. or, a, or a man. Right. And when she says, well, my story starts when I was born a girl and Ethan Hawke almost like gulp, yeah. does like a, a re- over-the-top double take, I'm like, well, it's really not that surprising. Right. 
like this is a character whose gender is left ambiguous or like looks ambiguous. Yeah. So point. that's the yeah. kind of thing that I, I'm sure works better on the page that I found somewhat yeah. unfulfilling about I the mean, movie. I, it, it just never dealt with on the page. Uh, but except the uh, other than from the perspective of Ethan Hawke is that person and maybe like knew that at this point was I, he was identifying as a, as a male. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't want to. I mean, like, I agree. Like it certainly it requires that stretch. Here's why. I mean, it worked for me because I thought the part of the short story that I think the movie latches onto and builds off of the most is the very end where the character says like, I know where I came from, but where did all you zombies come from? Which right. is like where the title comes from and, and is in a bed at night. And it's like, it's just me, Jane in bed at night. I miss you terribly mm. addressed as far as we can tell to her previous selves. And, and like at the very end in her temporal agent, you know, like this, uh, there's no fizzle bomber storyline and all of that. He's just mm-hmm. like a temporal agent who's just recruited himself. And I think that that sentiment is something that the movie cultivates a lot just to be like, this is a person who is so solitary and so misunderstood and so treated with aggression constantly. Mm -hmm. And the only person that ever sees her clearly as a girl or, and it treats her with tenderness is herself in another form. And she reacts to that person, you know, so strongly because of that as well. It's like, you know, that, this isn't just a story about like, let's do this exercise about how someone can be their own mother and father is to be like, let's do this exercise where someone is like literally their only friend and their only lover is like, you know, like, right. like that, that like no one else has ever treated this person with kindness. Right. And I think that in all of this, like abstract, these plot manip- manipulations, I think like the fact that the first time, you know, male that, that John is meets, her like meets jane right in that scene and says like you know something like no one's ever you're beautiful you're beautiful no one should have have told you that yeah and i think that like for like what's kind of like a ta-da reveal moment i think to have that like there's something like really sweet about that sadly you know there is but there's also something a little weird about it too sure but 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 i I agree it's a nice moment but also i mean i think that that's like the point of this character this character is like is not is like not human in some ways right right? is this weird time aberration yes but also that like but i i I know what you're saying what what you're saying is that in spite of the outlandishness that there is something kind of beautiful and relatable about this character that outsider aspect that she feels is something that i think a lot of people when they see this movie will will connect with yeah and i certainly did as well that, that when she's growing up and feeling different like there's something really beautiful about that and yeah that's the best part about the movie i agree with you yeah and i you know i think that even if there's a lot of this movie that requires like giant leaps of logic and there's a lot of weirdness in this and they do stick a lot of the stuff that's in the highland story that i think is just like tossed out as a side idea and i don't know why it's in there like the idea that she applies for basically being a space prostitute <laughs> right? right like that is the program she is in yes and and there's not really much commentary or explanation in, you know as to like why <laughs> there's a, a government space prostitute program <laughs> it's like i mean they kept those because it's in the story right but it doesn't really feel like it was necessary mm-hmm. and i do think at least it's very kind of harsh and matter of fact about it right. in a way that the story is not i will say too that i liked uh, the ending as well and i like that final confrontation between ethan hawk although right. again you by that point in the story you realize the game i think yes and you know that ethan hawk or, or is going to yeah. be the, the the fizzle bomber as well yeah but 
I thought he played that scene really, really well. Yeah, but there's like such a weird tenderness about that scene, right? Where right. he's like, he's like, I'm so happy to see you, basically. Yeah. Even though I know what you're coming here to do and that I probably can't stop you. Right. And uh, yeah, I really, that impulse, I think, is the part of this, this movie that really impressed me is to inject tenderness into this crazy story right and and it and ultimately when you do know the game and that everyone in this movie is the same person then it becomes this story about a war with yourself right and loving yourself hating yourself uh wanting to destroy yourself feeling when you're an old man that you've screwed up your life you know all of those things when they become they take all these issues that we all feel sometimes and literalizes them i think it handles that stuff well it's just that Sometimes the the machinations are just so heavy handed and far fetched totally that they're hard to hard to accept. But I will say, having known a fair amount of what it, what was going to happen going in, I was never bored one time watching this movie. I was always interested. I think Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook are really good together, and it is certainly a movie that is. It's a time. It's 97 minutes. You will not feel like you wasted. Yeah. I don't think. I can't I, imagine. No, I don't think so. I, it is It is a unique experience. It doesn't, again, it's the Ethan Hawke taste thing. He's, yeah. you know, this is not a movie like something you've seen. Even though it's a Timecock movie and there have been movies about that before, it is so vastly different from them that it is its own unique thing. Yeah. And in some ways, there are parts of it that made me think of Looper. In, mm. Except in Looper, the joke is really that like your younger self and your older self might not like each other at all, right? right? That like your priorities are so different and you wouldn't want. True. And I think that this kind of does the opposite side of that, where right, her younger self and her older self and her middle self, in some ways, are all her only friends, right? Yes. Like are the only people in her world who understand her. But and, there's also but the Fizzle Bomber and Ethan Hawke don't right. get along either, though. Right. But well, except they kind of but right. They, like kind he, of, they kind of do. It's just that he's like you've gone crazy, right? right. It builds in sight like they build in that storyline about psychosis coming from like yes. from time travel. Too much and time so, travel makes yes. you crazy. And so he finds himself and is like, "You're my crazy oldest self." And yes, right. And yeah. that's such an interesting thing too is the idea that you when you see or you know that you will go crazy and say, "No, I won't," but it's inevitable. It's destiny. It's fate. It's a time paradox. Whatever it is, there's something beautiful and poetic about that as well yeah so yeah i mean it's i i didn't think it was a masterpiece but i thought it, you know i thought there was some stuff to like about it i would kind of give it a, a mild recommendation thumbs up i i, I think it's worth seeing for ethan Hawke genre film hawk exploitation fans yeah and i time and travel fans i liked it a bit more than you did i don't think it's the world's greatest time travel movie uh or you know future or time cop movie even I don't know, an, uh, a kind of underpopulated tra- genre. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it it achieves something that a it's lot got of... something. Yes, a lot, it achieves something that a lot of heady sci-fi does not do, which is to find the human side of concepts like this. Mm-hmm. And I do think that Sarah Snook is, is very impressive in this movie. And, you know, even if she doesn't make an entirely convincing, you know, man in that beginning scene yeah. where you kind of catch right away, I think she makes a very convincing like person who has transitioned to be a man i think like you know in terms of mannerisms and like especially when she's playing off herself mm-hmm. i think like delineates those two pe- like versions of that character very well the two when both of them when both hawk and snook are playing against themselves in different scenes i thought that it's so nicely done it's almost so good you forget that they're playing opposite themselves it doesn't even seem like a trick in any way they're just that they're really good at it yeah and I, I also would say it's a it's a step up for the Spirit Brothers from Daybreakers, which I was not a huge fan of. So 
yeah, good for them. I hope I hope they keep making interesting movies like this, and I uh, wouldn't mind seeing Ethan Hawke in them. Yeah, I agree. If he's going to be their muse, he seems to be a pretty good one yeah. so far. Yeah. So that is Predestination, and it is available for rent. Uh, let's move on to our Behind the Eight Ball section, where every episode we give you three, we recommend three new releases. Uh, we get two listener recommendations from you guys, and we offer one pick chosen randomly from our My List on Netflix. So, Matt, are you ready to go? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, three new releases. First up, the TV show that did not win our listener's choice poll last time on SVU. Bosh, I watched it anyway, as I think I promised I would, and I liked it. Titus Welliver from, I guess, Lost. I never watched Lost, but I know he was He's on Lost. He's been like that guy. Hey, hey, it's that guy for a yes. long time. I, I think his most significant role to date before this was Transformers Age of Extinction. It was a powerful <laughs> performance there. Here he plays crime novelist Michael Connolly's Harry Bosch, his uh, perennial protagonist, uh, and a cop, a LAPD cop, as he defends himself in court from charges of wrongful death. And he is investigating a cold case. He falls for a co-worker. He's trying to be a better dad to his daughter who lives with his ex-wife in Las Vegas. There's all these different things going on at th uh, throughout the season all at once. I was attracted to it initially because it was developed and co-written by The Wire alumni Eric Overmeyer and starred Wire alumni Lance Reddick and Jamie Hector. It's not super like The Wire, although it's a cop drama. What it really reminded me of was a really good mystery novel. Unlike a lot of cop shows besides The Wire on TV where it's all one and done cases, this is one big case with a bunch of subplots spread out over 13 episodes. So it feels like every episode is like a chapter in a novel. And I, I, I binged the whole thing like three sittings. I really liked it. <laughs> I recommend it. Bosh, uh, first season is available on Amazon Prime. Watch it. So hopefully they'll make a second season. Next up, the best documentary I saw at Fantastic Fest last fall. It's called Kung Fu Elliot, which is available now to rent on iTunes and Amazon. It's about a Canadian man named Elliot White Lightning Scott, who fancies himself as like the next Jackie Chan or Jet Li. He's a kung fu master who writes and directs and stars in his own very low-rent action movies that he makes with his girlfriend, the documentary follows him as he tries to pursue his dream of becoming a big movie star. And the, if that sounds very familiar from a lot of movies like American Movie, uh, it probably should. But it goes to some interesting and surprising places that actually recontextualizes all the stuff that comes before it. And, and some of those other movies that we, that we love movies like that. We love movies about the lovable amateur filmmaker who refuses to give up on his dreams and Kung Fu Elliot is kind of like that, but it's also in some ways it's like the dark side of that, which is very interesting. So that's Kung Fu Elliot, which you can rent now on Amazon and iTunes. And finally, a bunch of Werner Herzog movies just popped up on Hulu. So I'm going to throw a plug out there for my best fiend Herzog's fine tribute to the late Klaus Kinski, the man who starred in many of his best pictures and co-starred in all of Herzog's worst on set fights the film features rare archival footage of Kinski and many great anecdotes about his life and work with Herzog, who narrates the film and provides some amazing interviews. It's a very entertaining documentary. I do recommend it. It is My Best Fiend, available on Hulu. All right, two listener recommendations. All right, first, a listener from Belgium, which is awesome. We've got Belgian listeners. I love it. This is Bert, who writes in and says, Hi, Matt and Allison. I'd like to re recommend a film I just saw on Netflix. Wetlands, a recent German film that proves that a charming and a dirty film aren't mutually exclusive. It's about a young woman and the often painful exploration of her body. It gave me such a joy because the main character is so brutally honest 
and doesn't care about taboos and repressed morals. Thanks for the wonderful show. That was Bert in Belgium. And that was a a failed uh, listener's choice option from a few episodes ago. It didn't win. And I have to say, I've heard more listeners email, tweet, <laughs> reach out to say they were disappointed that that did not win. Yeah. I can't remember a movie or TV show that we haven't had win that's gotten more feedback. People, because I said I was very uncomfortable with some of the bodily people, people specificity. Accused, suspected you of rigging this vote. I did not rig anything. I've never rigged any listener's choice poll on the show in my life. And uh, I just wanted to, I thought we would read Bert's email, not just because it was, it was a nice email, but also because, you know, Wetlands, it's gotten a lot of love from listeners. They really wanted to hear us talk about it. So at least it's gotten one more shout out on the show. So that's Wetlands, which is available now on Netflix. And secondly, I've got an email here from Jill. Jill writes in and says, I enjoyed watching To Be Takai, the documentary about Star Trek star George Takai. It's not a great movie, but it is a solid portrait of a brave, funny, and complicated person. And that was from Jill. And I wanted to read that email specifically because a couple days ago, Leonard Nimoy passed away, of course. Beloved Mr. Spock of Star Trek. And I've seen to be, I think it's actually to be Decay, not to be Takai. To be Decay. And it is, I, think, I think Jill summed that up perfectly. It's a very solid documentary of a very, very brave, funny, and complicated person. It's not an outstanding film, but it's a nice portrait. And Leonard Nimoy is in the film. He has some lovely things to say about George Decay. And yeah, it's a good film to check out. It is available on Netflix. 90, 90 solid minutes. And uh, we will miss you, Leonard Nimoy. A fine, fine actor. Fine director, too. Three Men and a Baby. Yeah. Maybe we should do that as a listener's choice option one of these days. I don't know if it's available online. Yeah, I didn't look. Oh. Someday it'll happen. <laughs> All right. Uh, one from your Netflix, My List. You gave me number two, and this time that is All Good Things, which is Andrew Jarecki's fiction film loosely based on the case of Robert Durst. And Robert Durst is the subject of the new HBO series, The Jinx, which is airing right now, which I've been a big fan of. I wrote a big piece about it on ScreenCrush.com last week if people want to check it out. Just feel like that's a great show. Very similar to Serial. If you were a fan of Serial, you would probably like The Jinx. It's this serialized true crime story. And this film, All Good Things is a fictionalized version of the same story by the same guy. And actually, Robert Durst, the the man whose story Andrew Jarecki told in All Good Things, saw the fiction film and thought, this guy gets me. I'm going to do something with him. And that was the seed that eventually became the jinx. And they mentioned this in the series. So I had to check out the movie. And sure enough, it's on Netflix, but I'm waiting to watch it until after the jinx is over. The jinx is still going on. And I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm just waiting now until it's over before I check it out. So, yeah, so that, there you go. All good things. I'm looking forward to watching it once the jinx is over, which people should check out, too. If they have HBO, if they have HBO Go, if their parents have an HBO Go password, they can give them whatever they want. That's, that's my, uh, my list pick this week. Allison, why don't you dive right in? What are your three new releases? New to Netflix is Housebound. This is a New Zealand horror comedy that finds a great answer to that central question of every haunted house movie, which is why don't the characters just leave? Go down the street, check into a motel, you know, scary things standing over your bed at night. Don't stick around. You've got options. But the main character of this movie, Kylie, played by Morgana O'Reilly, 
does not because she is placed under house arrest after trying to <laughs> rob an ATM. I love it. In the beginning, she is sent to her uh, mom's country house. <laughs> I love yes. this premise. This is amazing. Yes. She, she's got eight months in her mom's country house where she is already like a terrible house guest to her poor mom. And her mom is convinced the house is haunted. And she starts to believe the house is haunted as well. And obviously, whatever goes through there, she's stuck with them because she's got an ankle bracelet on and she can't leave. And I, this movie, like, it really won me over. It didn't get a lot of attention when it came out in theaters, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. It, wow. is, it is a lot of fun, and I think balances its tone really well. So that's Housebound. Definitely check that out. Where could we watch that it, one? It is new to Netflix. Oh, great. Yes. I'm going to add that one to my list right now. Yeah. Um, also new to Netflix, this is a movie I've talked about before, but if you haven't had a chance to watch it yet, I really do recommend adding it to your queue. It is The Overnighters, which is, I think, probably my favorite doc from last year, uh, depicting, it's, it's a movie about North Dakota as it, as it has experienced this oil boom, and all of these people have come up there looking for jobs. It's become kind of the new Wild West, right, where all of these people have sought they've heard stories about like there's lots of work there's easy employment no one's so worried about your history your background whether you have felonies on your record and uh, into this the filmmaker finds a pastor in a church called named Jay Renke who has been helping all of these men who have no place to stay the town of Williston North Dakota is like 20,000 people or something like that it's not there's not a lot of housing so all of these guys who arrive without a lot of resources and without a lot of money looking for looking for work have no place to stay so he lets them all sleep in his church and in the parking lot and a lot of them uh, a lot of his congregation start reacting very badly and it's this fascinating story about this sometimes admirable and sometimes just very ill-advised like too much kind of charity it's a great character study and also just a really interesting portrait of this I don't like a, the American dream as battered as it, it kind of in this very battered form and more practically like America right now a part of America we don't see all that much right exactly and uh, I, and also, I just I, I think like it, it really digs into the idea of like charity and what lie like where your line is in right. terms of like forgiving people and, and helping them out. Uh, it's it's a really good film and it's now on Netflix. So easy enough to watch. And finally, new to Hulu is The Getaway, which is the 1972 American action film from Sam Peckinpah starring Steve McQueen and Ally McGraw. Uh, written by Walter Hill from the Jim Thompson novel. I mean, with names like that, how can you pass this up? It's actually, it was Peckinpah's, like, one of his most successful films just in terms mm-hmm. of, like, box office and in terms of reach. It still has that kind of nasty edge underneath. Uh, and, you know. It is. It's a na- nasty is the right word for it. Yeah. It's a little and, nasty. And two big films, you know, remade totally unloved. I was hoping you'd mention <laughs> yes, it. Yes, a deeply unloved remake in 1994 <laughs> starring Alec, Alec Baldwin and Kim, Kim Basinger. Basinger. Yep, I um, remember it well. I do not know if that version is streaming, but why would you need that version? How dare you? have you? this version. How dare you? <laughs> With the Getaway, now on Hulu. And regular Hulu, not Hulu Plus. Oh, so okay, good to know. know. All right, how about two listener recommendations? Well, first up, we have one from Jason from Clearbrook, Virginia, who writes, for people that like their comedy very, very weird, I would like to recommend the Australian series Danger 5, mm. now streaming on Netflix. 
The first season is a parody of 60s spy shows that is sometimes eerily accurate thanks to period-specific lighting and sound, and other times utterly, utterly off-the-wall bizarre in ways too fun to spoil here. Some people will hate it, but certainly many will love it. For instance, anyone who appreciated too many cooks, we know you're out there, should give it a shot. Mm. I'm sold. Yeah. (laughs) So that's on Netflix right now. Danger 5. I think other people have recommended that one to me, actually. That sounds familiar. I'm going to have to check that one out. Yeah. I do like a good period lighting joke. Mm. (laughs) Who doesn't? We have another recommendation from Martin, uh, who is MartinNLS on Twitter. Um, and who writes? Who wrote uh, as we did uh, for Automata, a robot-themed podcast, two episodes ago? Seeing as Matt totally made a mockery of the robot movie recommendations, I thought I would chime in with another robot flick. The Machine is available on Netflix and is a fine, low-budget British sci-fi feature. Set in a dark future, is there any other kind, where Britain is locked in a new Cold War with China, a cybernetics genius uses the artificial intelligence and appearance of his murdered colleague to create the titular machine. Part Terminator, part Ghost in the Shell with a dash of Frankenstein, the machine tells a fun, speculative sci-fi story that looks terrific considering its low budget. Some of the ideas they consider are a little reminiscent of the upcoming Ex Machina from uh, uh, Alex Garland that I can't wait to see. Uh, I'm looking forward to that one, too. So so it's an interesting comparison. Thank you, Martin. That is The Machine, and it is now streaming on Netflix. All right. And one film chosen blindly by number from your my list. You gave me number 11, which is Catch Hell, Ryan Phillippe's directorial debut from last year, in which he stars as Reagan Pierce, a washed-up actor who is headed to film a movie he hopes will revive his career in Shreveport, Louisiana, when he is kidnapped from the set by two, (gasps) according to the description, backwoods hillbillies. Uh, one of whom is the husband of a woman that he slept with, the actor oh, slept with. Oh, I hate when um, that happens. And they do things like, <laughs> I think they sign onto his Twitter account and say offensive oh. things. Oh, no. And then I think the torture might get more, you know, weird Did he and write disturbing. this? Is this loosely he based co- on an autobiographical he co-wrote story? He co wrote it. He co wrote it. So this yes. is like a passion project. This is, uh, yeah, and I've heard nothing good about this movie. And yet, Why I'm would like, you? Ryan Phillippe is attempting to JCVD himself. Wow. And I am curious about this. Absolutely. Yes. So uh, that, that sounds is, good. Yeah. Catch Hell. Catch Hell. Number 11 on my Does my he list. play a guy named Catch or a guy named hell unfortunately he does not play either but i know hell right catch hell he gets caught he gets caught only makes sense right or if he played a guy named catch who's in hell he's stuck in this hell it would have worked either either way way. why doesn't ryan uh ryan phillippe write these movies with us i i think we would do really (laughs) great things (laughs) we could let's call him ryan reach out (laughs) sp email us svu at filmspottingsvu.com we are available and we have some ideas for lots of ideas we have ideas for catch hell too still catching I promise. Before we get to our listeners' choice uh, options for our next episode, I very briefly wanted to say this because I realized I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show before, Allison. I host this monthly film club in Brooklyn, and I just did it yesterday. And when we have new members, which we had this month, I always ask them, how did you hear about this? And usually they say, oh, I heard you talking about it on the Slash Filmcast, the wonderful podcast we've both been uh, guests on many times. 
And no one has ever said, oh, I heard you talking about it on your podcast. So I realized maybe I should mention it once so that people who listen to this show and enjoy it and they're in the area, they know. So it's called the $5 Film Club, and we do it once a month. You pay five bucks. You see a movie at the Nighthawk Theater in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and then we meet for brunch at their wonderful cafe and talk about it. It's a lot of fun. So it's only five bucks. That's the you get you get to see the movie for what was the movie you, you showed this yesterday? this month we did appropriate behavior which is a really good little Brooklyn uh, indie movie we we've done recently we did Birdman we did Boyhood we did Whiplash really I mean it's we do most of the big indie movies that come out it's all stuff that plays at the Nighthawk which is an excellent theater in Brooklyn and yeah you can find out more information on the Nighthawk's website I think if you just type in five dollar film club into Google you should be able to find it. Or go to the Nighthawk website and search the uh, Coming Soon series. I think there's a page for it on there. But yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. People should do it. And you're seeing a movie for five bucks. That's less than half the ticket price. And who doesn't like brunch? Yeah, and you know, you get to come <laughs> to the brunch and hang out with me and other uh, very intelligent film uh, lovers. We had a great conversation yesterday. It's always fun. So yeah, check it out. $5 Film Club. There's my plug. Do you have anything to plug, Allison? Maybe I, if enough people come, you you'll come. You'll make a guest appearance. I, you never tell me when it's on. Well, no, you've remember. never invited you before, but maybe uh, I will. Uh, thanks. If, there you go. <laughs> go. Show up to Matt's film club, and maybe someday he'll invite me. If enough people come and they demand your presence, <laughs> I'll have no choice but to uh, invite you. <laughs> All right, let's get to our uh, our listeners' choice options for our next episode. I think we've got three very intriguing picks. Uh, no, I don't. I was going to say, I think I know it's going to win. And I actually, yeah, maybe, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Allison, you've got the first one. What is it? Yes, it is 20,000 Days on Earth, which is streaming now on Amazon Prime and is Ian Forsyth and Jane Pollard's fictionalized documentary about musician, screenwriter, author, and many other things, Nick Cave. And it sets up this like 24 hours in his life as he's about to record a new album and it's a fictionalized 24 hours that pulls in all of these real details about people he's worked with and his process and his personal relationships. And I find that concept, I have not seen this yet, I find that concept very promising. Mm -hmm. I like, the, I mean, I love movies that push the boundaries and form of documentary. Mm -hmm. And certainly there are a lot of very boring portraits of artists' yes. movies. There, it's a it's nice a to see form. an un unusual. Uh, yeah, one. the idea of one that involves like uh, doing something different, I would love to see that, and I think there would be a lot to talk about. So, twenty thousand days on Earth is our first option. Okay, option number two. I believe we've talked about season one, and I believe we've talked about season two. In fact, I know we have on episodes SVU number twenty-eight and number fifty-four. So why not? Let's talk about the third season of House of Cards. It's the Emmy-winning show starring Kevin Spacey as the manipulative. Washington, D.C. politician Frank Underwood. He's out to seize power. He's manipulating. He's banging on desks with his his ring. Yep. He's talking in a southern accent. Talking to the camera. He's talking to the camera. He's breaking the fourth wall. He's hanging out with Robin Wright. He's probably smoking. We, uh, we Neither of us have actually watched the season yet. We haven't had a chance to. But I suspect we will both be watching it either way. Um, my wife was out of town this weekend, so I think if I watched it without her, she may, she might have killed me. So I had to wait. But as soon as she gets home, we'll be diving in. And I'm sure there would be plenty to discuss. I'm not sure what we would discuss as a theme. Last yeah. time we did 
Kevin Spacey movies. So that would be out. We could do Robin Wright. Yeah. Or maybe it'd be a good idea to take a look at TV again. You know, we, we haven't done a TV yeah, roundup in a while. We haven't done TV for a while. And I think there's some, some good stuff out there. That so could be an option. All of those are possibilities. I don't know if we've done like Washington, D.C. stories or, or, oh, the, or, or U.S. government stories yet. We'd that have to look. We've done 80 episodes. We're getting up there in episodes. I know. So we, and we, these... keep, we keep terrible records. So basically yeah. every time we have we to have think to of a theme, <laughs> we're like, have we done that before? Yeah, we have to Google search our own yeah. show. So if that ever sad. comes up again and we do, is, uh, don't tell us if we repeat a theme. We, we can't handle the, the knowledge. Yes. So that's option number two, House of Cards season three. And uh, if you haven't seen the show yet, you can watch the whole thing on Netflix right now. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think that would be a good option as well. What's option number three, Allison? Option number three is Hits, which is available now for rent. And this is David Cross's directorial debut, starring Matt Walsh as a municipal worker who becomes uh, a kind of viral video star when his, his videos of ranting about potholes at City Hall uh, goes viral. So it's got a lot of David Cross's comedian friends in it and... This was noteworthy also for cross-releasing it as a kind of pay-what-you-want model for a little while. I don't know if it's still available that way. Yeah, we're I think not it's sure. All, it's like traditional rental now. But he was the first person to, technically he was, I think, like the first person to release a movie over BitTorrent's legal platform. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the one that they, they have been trying to set right. up as a legit way to release you mean material. They didn't, you mean Clash of the Titans wasn't on BitTorrent legally? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> who, who knows? <laughs> but uh you know I, I don't know how it went but it's always neat to see people yeah, it's try interesting out he was trying something new, new. Yeah, yeah and i know even models at, of releasing like that they were even doing that in theaters too in fact because i know they played it at the nighthawk because uh, i saw a preview for it there and it was pay what you want at the nighthawk too it wasn't they weren't even charging full price if you wanted i guess if you wanted to pay five bucks or a, a buck or whatever you could you could you had to like reserve a ticket but yeah, it's interesting. So uh, I don't know how I can't speak to the quality of the movie, but certainly he's he's bold in his releasing strategy anyway. And, and we like David Cross. Absolutely. He's a very funny guy. Hilarious. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it might be a good time to look at his work. Oh, that know? could be fun. And or to look at uh, the idea of virality in movies. Virality. Yes. Of, because I feel like it's starting to creep in. Virality. It's starting to creep in, certainly on TV as well, but like the idea of the modern, that aspect of modern internet use. Yes. I saw The Duff recently, which uh-huh. was actually not bad. Mm-hmm. And part, like there's a whole minor storyline in which this embarrassing video of the main character goes viral. Interesting. I don't know that when people decide to share something, they say viral the way they do in that movie. But it was interesting to see that as like a plot line that you know, was just folded in. So there might be something there, but either way, it's a David Cross comedy hits. And that's our third option. Okay. So which movie or TV show should we review on the next episode of film spotting SVU? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com or you can enter in the poll on the right hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, March 9th at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu, and you will have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on our next episode, which will be on Tuesday, March 17th. And if you're looking for our show archive, you can find it at filmspottingsvu.com, along with a list of direct links to all of the movies and the occasional TV show we discuss on the show. Uh, the Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. And we will be back in two weeks with more recommendations and the review that you pick. 
And in the meantime, you can always follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from you, the SVU listeners, and from me, because I compulsively troll all of those sites looking for new releases. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>